So, we're going to talk today in a, a continuing our series on freedom in Christ. And uh, this is an interesting topic, I find. Um, I want you to, uh, and, and if you need a faith in action sheet, raise your hands. Kim will come around and give you one. Just keep your hand up. This is, um, this is entitled Freedom Through Fear. Which seems kind of weird, doesn't it? That is not a misprint. There is freedom in a clear understanding and practice of the fear of the Lord. And I want to dig down and drill into that a little bit today. So far in this beginning of this series, we have come across the following conclusions that seem to be necessities for living with freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is the result, I think, primarily of knowing who you are. Is your identity rooted and established in Christ? Do you know who you are, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done on your behalf? Know who you are and know to whom you belong. If you know to whom you belong, you know where you don't belong. You also know who doesn't belong with you. Young lady, if you know who you are and to whom you belong, you know you don't belong to someone that would cause you to be unequally yoked. We know to whom we belong, okay? Secondly, I would go discovering freedom in death. That was last week's message. This idea that uh, to live as Christ and to die is gain. This understanding that death for the believer isn't something to be afraid of, it is something to be uh, an, a, a source of freedom for you. We don't have to worry about all of that. Uh, that message last week, I gotta tell you, was pretty decent. Go back and listen to it. There's a freedom there and a healthy understanding of death. There's also a freedom in knowing that as you live, you live in such a manner courageously to bring glory to God with your life. There's freedom in that because there's direction. Okay? And we also have learned that freedom is the, the exact opposite of the trends that are set in our life in three areas. Remember, F-S-H, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Freedom is really experienced in this life today when another F-S-H is reversed. Fear, shame, and hiding. Perfect love casts out fear, the Father. The Father's everlasting, lavishes his love upon us. Perfect love casts out fear. Secondly, Christ scorned our shame on the cross. And the Holy Spirit keeps us from having to hide one from another. Fear, shame, and hiding are at the root of our problems. And they give birth to all kinds of things that keep us from being free in this life. Well, today I want to talk to you about two fears. One is the fear of the Lord. And the other is the fear of man. I want you to leave here today with an understanding that maybe possibly you could do a little less of, with the fear of man and a little more with the fear of God. But, but not just say that, actually understand what it means and be able to put that into practice. Okay? To fear the Lord, let's define it as to revere God, respect God, be in awe of God, and to obey him, not because he's God, but because we love him. 
Let me say that again. I just actually told you the opposite of what some of you have been taught since you were embryos. Obey the Lord because he loves you and you love him. Not simply because he told you to do something. Let love seep into that, says Jesus in John chapter 15. So, revere, respect, awe, love, and obedience. And the fear of man is when we empower man above God. We place a greater importance on the feelings and the response of man than we do on God, and we make choices that are wrong because of it. Basically, there's two things I want you to think about today. Revere man and be afraid of God, or revere God and be afraid of man. But whatever it is you choose, make sure you love both. Love one with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So let's talk for a moment about the fear of the Lord. We're looking at Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. It goes like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, in the Bible, a fool in Hebrew is best defined as a morally deficient person. Moral deficiency really is a result of a lack of respect for God, but a fool is one who's morally deficient. Okay? Do you have any fools in your life? A morally deficient person. Usually, a fool, you can't tell him anything. Usually. After a while, you don't want to cast your pearls before swine because you're just wasting your time. That's a fool. A fool is usually one who's wasted credibility. They had, they had credibility at one time, but they didn't steward it well. They wasted it. And they become a poor steward. It's hard to get respect back once you've wasted it. Remember years ago, I can say this to you, can't say this in a staff meeting, but I can say it to you because you're old enough to remember. Remember when you went to the gas station and you pulled in and somebody pulled out a wad of cash that could choke a small pony, right? And, you got your, and they made change with the metal thing and they peeled the cash off and nobody killed them every day. There was no one shooting them or robbing them. It was a different thing altogether. All right, imagine you had that wad of cash, but that cash was your credibility, was your respect of others. You did something stupid, you said something wrong, you made a bad choice, you went in the wrong direction, it cost you, you start peeling off the cash. The credibility's going out, it's going out, it's going out, it's going out. Before you know it, that big old wad even doubled up, was that big, now it's just down to, even doubled up just like a, a quarter inch. You're down to almost no credibility and you don't know how to stop the flow of it going out. So you do a few other bad choices and all of a sudden you don't have any it's gone. I don't know how long it took you to get rid of it, but it takes five times, six times longer than that to get it back. That's the problem. We lose respect. We lose credibility. And when you see that heading out the door, you've got to call time out and keep your mouth shut. Stop being a fool. Let me figure out how I can stop this trend, maybe build something back. 
This happens with our kids, our grandkids. It happens in family relationships. It happens all the time. We end up, then when we're empty handed and we got nothing, we're using our position as our credibility, which sorry folks, it just doesn't work. All right, that's a fool. And a fool lacks humility, typically. Humility is teachability. If you're not teachable, we're in trouble. Resist instruction. And usually a fool will take something like uh, spiritual authority. Let me talk to you about this for a minute. Uh, this idea that a man has the, is the spiritual head of the home, the spiritual authority. Well, if a spiritual authority is only positional, if it's only based on your position, your, your position in the family, you're in trouble. If your spiritual authority cannot be backed up with demonstrated acts of wisdom, your spiritual authority erodes. Jesus was amazed when he saw spiritual authority in the centurion. Why? Because his spiritual authority was used not for his own gain, not to meet his own needs, but for the needs of others. A person who has spiritual authority realizes it's not for themselves, nor is it to meet a need of insignificance in their life. Spiritual authority is actually a lot more than we think it is, and we've so wrangled this issue, we've, we've come across with real problems as a result. Christ is a... A husband is called to love Christ as he loves the church and gave himself up for her. Spiritual authority is selfless. Never is it supposed to be selfish. Not to mention the fact we're all supposed to submit one to the other for the benefit of the kingdom. So when I talk about a fool, a fool is using things that are very important in life, but using them wrongly. Authority is used to meet insignificant needs of insignificance or to make one feel more important, but not to give oneself up. These are things that we have to keep in mind. I'm bringing this up because when we get to the fear of man, we have problems when we have wrong spiritual authority. Uh, wrong spiritual authority harvest a crop of codependency. If you are using the wrong authority, the right authority in the wrong way, you could be facilitating the wrong message. It comes across as arrogance, as control, as domination. And with the wrong person in the relationship, it, it, comes, it fosters codependency hurt, uh, shame, weakness, and never with spiritual authority. That's not what Jesus was amazed by, by the way. Never was he amazed by control and dictatorial and the alpha male who's, who needs to be built up at someone else's expense. That's not spiritual authority. The elders of this church have a spiritual authority here, but they have to be gentle. They have to be discerning. They have to deal with difficult issues, but they have to be merciful. They have to be sacrificial. They have to look for things that no other people look for. 
Authority knows to do that. Improper authority is usually the result of a fool who is compensating for some deficiency by wielding power in an inappropriate way. Spiritual authority. A fool demonstrates, this is a word I just made up today. You like it? A fool demonstrates, godly authority demonstrates. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's not really, it's really not, it's not awesome. But you haven't had time to realize that yet, but you will on the way home. Uh, Wisdom is not simply an experience, it's knowing what one does not know. See, I'm just not amassing knowledge in life, nor are you. You you don't just want to amass knowledge, facts, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do and what not to do. Wisdom is knowing how much you don't know. Huh? Wisdom is knowing how much you don't know, not how much you do know. It's not based on experience and the color of your hair. If that were the case, almost everyone here would be a wise man and a wise woman. Or the absence of hair is not, is not also a sign of wisdom. But what I'm talking about is wisdom is not necessarily experience. Wisdom is begun, begins in a reverence for God. Because when we begin to reverence God in our personal lives, we realize how much we don't know. We realize how much we have to learn. That's wisdom, and that's authority. All right, a couple of verses. Along the lines of a wise man, a wise woman. Proverbs 8, 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. These are strong words. I remember when, when Angie and I were raising our kids, somebody would say, uh, uh, well, our son, for sure, hated chicken salad. We want to know part of it. Or somebody would hate green beans, or I hated that movie. And we just got to where we, we don't use that word in our house hate. I don't want to hate. I don't want to, hear, I don't want to come home and hear hate. I don't want to hear I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I don't want to hear I hate green beans. I don't even want to hear the word hate. God doesn't want to hear the word hate unless you're using it in the context that he likes. Now, in what context would God like you to use the word hate? Well, it's also the, the word abhor. Not like your husband's a bore at a party, but to abhor, to hate something. Why are you laughing? Have you got that before? I definitely have got that before. <laughs> to fear the Lord is to abhor or to hate evil, to hate pride and arrogance. See, the fear of the Lord is to have hold God in awe and respect. It is. But it also results in a, in a hatred towards sin. I, I don't know, man. I'm starting to think that we're missing that a little bit. Are we missing the hatred of sin? I think so. I know a lot of people who are arrogant. Not too many people worried about it, though. I know a lot of people who have perverse speech. Nobody really cares. Huh. I guess the fear of the Lord is hating evil, hating perverse speech, 
hating arrogance and hating pride. So says the verse. Not overlook it, not excuse it, not rationalize it, not accept it. That's so far from hate, it's not funny. Those who walk in a fear and reverence for God have a sensitivity to perverse profanity, arrogance, pridefulness. Uh, It ought to cause in us uh, some kind of check. A check. Like, that doesn't sit well with me. That shouldn't sit well with me. If I fear God, I ought to have a sensitivity to these things that he hates. Like, if he hates it, and it does nothing one way or another to me, I'm, I'm missing this by a football field. As long as we're talking about the truth. Disrespect, arrogance, pridefulness, and perverse speech ought to cause, why doesn't it? That's a better question. Why doesn't it? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge, and if the fear of the Lord causes in us a, a, a freedom Why wouldn't we want a sensitivity to profanity and perverseness, arrogance? That's cause for concern. I have a greater concern for the lack of concern than I have concern for that in this world. I would expect it in the world, but one would try to expect in the church that somebody ought to maybe offer a little bit of uh, uncomfortability with it. See? That's also something that has to do with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So I would, put, I would take Proverbs 8.13. I would circle that. And I'd come back to that this week and I'd think about that. I'd get on my favorite hiking chair or sit, ch- trail or sit in my favorite rocking chair I'd get up in the morning for everyone else and I'd look at that verse and I'd say, why don't I have such a problem? If that's the case, why don't I have such a problem with evil? And why, is, why have I become so accustomed to perverse speech? That's worth consideration. I need to ruminate on that one. Psalm 33, 8, let, let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the people of the world Revere him. Oh, what a beautiful verse. Okay, so that's the fear of the Lord. Now let's go to the fear of man, Proverbs 29 and 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Notice that there's this disparity, this dichotomy between the word snare and safe. Snare and safe. Snare something that you walk into unbeknownst, you're not aware of, and it tightens around you and you have a loss of mobility. A loss of mobility which places you in the same environment keeps you from leaving that immediate proximity and you remain there with the same view every day of your life until someone comes and dispatches you. The fear of man immobilizes us, catches us off guard, and keeps us in the same proximity of of viewing things for long periods of time, and it's dangerous. It's restrictive. There's no movement. The fear of man. 
Why would I fear man? I want his acceptance. I want his approval. I want his affirmation. Or some want his money. Some want opportunity. Favoritism. Uh, favoritism. You, if you show favoritism, you're showing a greater respect for one over another, probably for, a, 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 for gain. A pastor that shows favoritism, he's doomed. He's done before he gets started. If you can't treat everyone the same, speak the word of God the same to everybody, hold nothing back from the truth, take it or shake it, no matter what you give or don't give, if that's not the case, that guy's doomed. You wouldn't last long around here. Favoritism doesn't work. It's a fear of man. It's a snare. On one hand, it looks like you're doing it in good faith. You're doing it for the right reasons, but in reality, it's a snare and it's dangerous. Galatians 1.10, I, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's a, this is a verse right here that describes the state of the church in the United States of America, probably Europe too. When church attendance drops, the idea is compromise your doctrine, maybe you'll get more people to come. People don't come to church for some compromised message. They don't come to church because they don't want to be convicted of their sin. And if you make their sin acceptable, they now have no reason to explain why they feel less than in their sin, which they do. We just need to tell the truth and let it shake out however it shakes. We're not here to try to please people. By the way, if your, ministry, your definition of ministry is to help people, and your definition of help people is to give them everything they ask for, one, that's not ministry. Two, you're not helping anybody. You're helping some, but not all. The fear of man causes us to enable people to give them things that keep them from doing what they should be doing, like sometimes working, earning a living, going through problems, confronting others, the difficult things that help us grow. If you have a messianic complex that you exist on this earth to help everybody you come in contact with, good luck with that in your burnt, dry toast exhaustion that's coming down the pipe. That's the fear of man, not the fear of God. Second Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love that, what can man do to me? What's the worst thing that could happen? And how bad is that really? Even when the worst thing that could happen to you really turns out for your gain, to live as Christ and to die as gain. What, what are we worried about here? Psalm 118, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. 
The higher your expectations you place on another person, the greater the possibility for your disappointment. The level of peace that you have oftentimes is proportional to the amount of expectations you place on a person. And when they let you down, you go down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Expect too much out of somebody who doesn't have the capacity to give it to you and you'll be disappointed. Many of us lack freedom today because someone who lacked the capacity to give you what it was you needed, safety, love, understanding, grace, mercy, whatever the message was, they lacked the capacity to give it to you. You expected it of them, so you were left disappointed and you were left untended to and more often than that, you were hurt. And these are the kind of things that lead to what I would call, what everyone calls, codependency. Let's start early on. It starts as people pleasers. Do we have any people pleasers here today? I know. Give them that raise your hand. We know who you are. We go to you when we need something. What are you kidding me? We have identified you. We have you on our billboard. The church staff knows who you are. When we need something done, we just call the, get the people pleasers on the phone. We need something done in children's ministry. <laughs> call somebody and say, hey, we need some help in children's ministry. I am so sorry. I should have been there 10 minutes ago. I should have known the phone was going to ring. You were going to ask. I should have been there. I'm already late. I'll be over any second. <laughs> the problem with people pleasers, and I am talking to you, is that if you bite off more than you can chew, if you overpromise and underdeliver, not only do you perceive the other person to be deeply disappointed, but you've just hurt your own identity because you're defining yourself by your ability to please other people. And if you fail to do so because you overshot what you were capable of doing, you become less than which leads to the need to please somebody twice as much next time. And it never, ever ends. And when you want to please someone as a people pleaser, because you feel like the other person is important and you want to do right by them, when you don't fulfill what you said you were going to do, there's the temptation. There it is, dangling in front of you. You have two options. Admit you bit off more than you can chew and you can't deliver. And you should have never done that for the 10 millionth time. That's one option. The other option is lie about it. Buy yourself a little time. Swoop back in and take care of it. Maybe no one will notice. And you'll fulfill this standard you placed upon yourself that no one else has. Just you as a people pleaser. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. You can't please every customer. You can't please every client. Take it from me, you can't please every parishioner. It just doesn't happen. This is not heaven on earth. People pleasing. Which leads to enabling. And this is where we really start to lose 
we begin to give someone and allow someone to continue in a behavior that is self-destructive to them and to you indirectly, but you do it to keep the peace. You do it to show love. You do it to smooth it over. I think we all know where that heads up. And then we become, I guess clinically, what we did diagnose as codependent. Codependent is... is uh, one who requires support because of an illness and you give it to them. You're now co-dependent, co-needy. Leads to a victimization and an institutionalization. So if you're in a codependent family generationally and you stay in that long enough, you become institutionalized. That becomes normal for you. And to be in an abnormal context would be awkward for you or you're victimized, like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They, they have all, it takes two generations to get the victimization out of their psyche because they defined themselves as subservient to a pagan people. Uh, codependency is, you're going to sacrifice your own needs to meet the needs of others causes cyclical bad decisions to be made over and over and over again. You funnel your energy into supporting people in your life without making space for or even considering what is your own personal need. Listen, if, you're, if you want a demonstration of what this is, it's right here. How many of you have been on an airplane when they've gone through the safety instructions? All of us, all right? Moms, dads, when the oxygen falls, Grab it before you give it to your child. Put it on your face. Take care of yourself first so you're actually worth something to your child. Put it on your child first and then die and then your child has no one to help them. Look after your own interests, not just the interest of others. You have to do that. Philippians 2 and 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. This in a Christian circle becomes cloudy because we paint things like compassionate care and benevolence and being merciful. We, we paint these things as righteous, noble things, and they are, but you take them to the extent where you become nothing in the process, and then we've gone too far. Now that's hard to undo because we start defining ourselves what we, by what we do or don't do, not by who Christ says we are and what he's done in our behalf. You have to be careful with that. If you have a problem with this, you already recognize it by what I've described. If you don't, you don't. It leads to controlling behavior and hiding and excusing other people and rationalizing and, and, and telling everybody you don't quite understand him or you don't understand her like I do. I get it, everything's fine. It's not fine. It's not fine. That's not freedom and it's not fine. Oftentimes, a movement in a family led by an overbearing spiritual authority who's trying to meet an in, a, a need for significance in their own life, using the wrong tool in the wrong way and getting the wrong result. We don't need codependent preaching that tells people what their itching ears want to hear. We don't need codependent politics 
where every candidate promises everybody what they're going to do and don't end up doing it because we're so afraid we won't get their vote. We'll compromise our morality. We'll compromise anything. It doesn't work. And this is a constricting boa constrictor on a lot of people's hearts and minds today. And families are, are ailing because of codependency, enabling, and people-pleasing. How does a born-again Christian supposed to view themselves? Here's something we could do better at. You know what? I'm going to give you an alert. Red alert. It's okay to like yourself. It's okay. It's also okay that you can love other people to the extent that you love yourself. Not in some prideful, arrogant way, but appreciative way. What is wrong with the body of Christ when you can't take a compliment? I'm gonna give you two words, and if you can't take a compliment, your, your exercise, your homework this week is to say this every time you get a compliment, and nothing else. Don't say another word. Man, you did incredible with that party the other night. The way you stepped up in Proclamation 77 was awesome. Way to get involved. What you've done recently in the children's ministry is unprecedented, thank you. The way I've seen you help out in situations around here, terrific. The way you worked hard getting that project done and then you got a raise on top of that. Two words, thank you. Can you say that? Thank you, thank you. Not, oh, the Lord did it all and I'm a scumbag. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Oh, you didn't get up in the morning? You weren't there at three in the morning reading the word? You didn't get over here and get the training for the children's video? I didn't do a thing, God did it all. I'm a scumbag. Jeez. All right. Sorry, I didn't quite see it that way. Um, all right, and when people come to me, uh, this happened the other day, and I get this all the time. You know, I just I just go whatever. All right, I heard that message the other day. I was going to tell you what I thought about it, but I don't want to give you a big head, so I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to withhold any kind of feedback or encouragement I possibly can because I know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. This guy, I can't even remember who it was. You're probably here today. You were sitting on my sofa. I can't even remember who it was. I've seen so many. I don't even remember things. I took that message last Sunday and I gave it to somebody. And you know what he said to me? I wasn't going to tell you this because I don't want you to get a big head. He said it was one of the best messages he's ever heard in his life. Why did he even tell you that? I shouldn't tell you that. You're a scumbag. Just remain a scumbag. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're so twisted. Hey, listen, it's okay to do something and be proud of your work. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not the kind of pride that says, I'm the best. I don't need God. I am God. Not that arrogant pride. It's the kind of pride that where you just delight What's wrong with creating something, doing something, making a flower arrangement, giving it to somebody, sitting with somebody in the hospital, and they go, I appreciate that so much, and delight in it. That's, that's the joy factor. You're supposed to feel good by helping other people. It's okay. 
It's not pride. You don't have to be, you don't have to like get on your face for 12 days and repent of accepting the compliment. That's, that's not freedom. It's okay. I see so many wounded men leave my office with their wife. And it's like their tails between their legs and they're walking out the door like they've, they've just taken a beating. And I look at him, I go, before he goes, I look at him, put my arms around him. I go, it's okay, man, I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. And not until the third or fourth visit will they say, maybe I'm not a scumbag. Why doesn't somebody build that wounded warrior up? Why doesn't somebody lift his head? Why doesn't somebody say there's something redeemable there? Why doesn't somebody just love on this guy? Why have we trashed one another to the point where don't even feel good about yourself in any way, shape, or form? What is that? Last time I checked, I'm the apple of the eye of God. You're his craftsmanship, his handiwork. He knew you before you were even born. He fashioned you in your mother's womb. He, he made you individually like you are. You're special to him. Like, accept something for crying out loud. Accept something. Nobody's gonna get too big ahead. Let me tell you something. We don't even have any, some people don't have any self-worth. It's a long way before they get arrogant. I mean, it's gonna take decades before they get arrogant. There's no danger of that right now. I'm proud of you, you did good. Build somebody up this week. It's okay. We're not all worthless. And don't, don't even pretend to give anybody that false modesty bit. We see right through it. Good job. Well done. I commend you. You're the best. You're the most encouraging congregation I've ever seen in my life. Thank you. Yes. You're a tabernacle of the Spirit of God. Come on. Don't tell me what's wrong with you. Tell me what's right with you. Share your strengths with one another. We can't afford to have a lack of balance in our self-worth, just our way of perceiving ourselves. You know, some of you are highly gifted in certain areas. and People ought to be telling you that you do incredible things. and That speaks to me or whatever. That was, so, that was so encouraging to me. What you said at that party, what you said at dinner, that meal you made, that was like off the charts. I've, I've run out of adjectives. I don't, me, of all people, have run out of adjectives to tell my wife what I think of the meal she makes. I have to repeat some of them, then she doesn't think I mean it because it's a, it's a redundant one. I have to go to a camp somewhere and get some new encouraging words. Fear the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3 and 22, so I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. So that is his lot. He delights in what he accomplished. I've told you this before. God doesn't build anything. God has never built anything. God creates raw material. That's all he does. Raw material. And he expects us to go make bricks out of it or diamond rings or satellite dishes or satellites or whatever. Pat ourselves on the back every now and again. 
He hasn't done anything when it comes to putting two raw materials together to make anything, except the creation. Then he left it up to us. Do whatever you want with it. Then he realized, man, these people could do anything they want. They're pretty incredible. Maybe too incredible. It was about, I don't know, a few nights ago. It was the middle of our reading. I was up here at, uh, I had the 2 to 2.30 slot. In about 20 minutes to listen to, to Lou go on and, this, and the word before I, before I went up there and I thought, are we halfway yet through the 77 hours? And then it dawned on me, when my time is up, that is exactly halfway through to 77 hours. It's 38 and a half hours. Just so happens. So I'm thinking to myself, Psalm 117 is the halfway point of the Bible. So if we're at 117, that's halfway through the 77 hours. We're right on track. And then I realized, uh, well, okay, I finished at Psalm 7. So we're 100 Psalms behind, 110 Psalms behind. Then I thought, well, you know, the Old Testament names slow you down a little bit. Praise God for that. So maybe we'll catch up. Then I stopped thinking about all that nonsense and then I started reading what I had to read. And I sat there and I said, Lord, what, what is this fearing you all about? Here's some musings from the book of Job as I read these in the middle of the night, just me and the Lord. This is how you should see God. Listen to these words. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? And when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, and when I said, this far you may come and no further, here's where your proud waves halt. I mean, you're talking about someone who controls the tides. The tides. How could anybody get a big head in light of someone who controls the tides? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal and its features stand out like a, like a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their praised, upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? If you're here today and you don't know Christ and you want to fear the Lord, listen to this right here. Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? God has. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? And can you take them to their places? Uh, he knows both, he's familiar with every location. Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? No. 
I'm just a puny guy preaching to a small church on a small hill. I don't know the storehouses of hail or snow. What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel to the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives or an inhabited desert? I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, I'm the only one here. I've seen so many bears this year. I've left my garage door open too many times already, even last night. I'm worried about a bear coming on up into the reading area. Then I thought to myself, who's protecting me? Who cuts a channel in the torrents of rain and the path for the thunderstorm? I don't fear the bear. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Oh my gosh, can you loosen Orion's belt, it says? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? There it is. I don't have to worry about it. If he wants to bring a bear and their cubs into the reading area for Proclamation 77, so be it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't care. You're in charge of the bears and the cubs and the torrents of rain and the hail and the lightning and the peals of thunder. You tell the tides when to go in and when to go out. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. What do I fear? Do I fear losing my job? Do I fear losing this, losing that? Do I fear death? I fear nothing. I'm free as a bird. I have a God is so big, so strong, so intensely interested, so attentive, so involved, so demonstrative, so faithful, such a promise keeper, so willing to be merciful and gracious, I have nothing to fear. Who do you fear? I'm not codependent, I'm 100% dependent. I'm so dependent on him for every word when I come in here on a Sunday morning, I got nothing else to say. I'm so dependent upon him to get through the week. I don't need anyone to take my burden and carry my load. I can cast my cares on him and he'll sustain me and never let the righteous fall. And you can too. I have no idea when the mountain goats give birth. I don't know when the doe bears her fawn. I don't count the months till they bear, and I don't know the time that they give birth, and I don't know when they crouch down and bring forth their young and their labor pains are ended. I don't know when the young thrive and grow strong in the wilds and they leave and do not return. I don't know. I do know, though, when 150 birds that migrate from Costa Rica into my chimney leave, I know that day's a good one. I do know something. We serve an omnipotent, omniscient God. He knows all things. I'm going to read this to you if you don't know the Lord, and I want you to, I want you to listen to me. Actually, I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the voice of the Lord. And I'm gonna give some wussy version. I'm gonna give you the unadulterated truth if you don't know Christ today. Because I love you. Because I'm not trying to be popular. Because I love you. Because I'm not going to water it down. Because I love you. 
I'm going to tell you exactly what it is you need to hear. Exactly how you need to hear it. Because I love you. At this, also, my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth and sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, it, it a voice roars. He thunders with a majestic voice and he does not restrain them from his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. And what would his voice say to you today? I love you with an everlasting love. I send my son in the greatest, deepest condensation into, into the depths of humanity to take come from the throne of grace of God, the palace of heaven, to die on a wooden cross for you. For you. I, I brought him to the deepest place of humility at the hands of man. And in the midst of the deepest pain and scourging and stabbing and, 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 and the, all the things, the mockery that happened to him on that cross and the shame that came upon him in the middle of it all, listen to the voice he says, forgive them, Father, they know what they do. That God, that voice that thunders, woos you, calls you. He knows where the darkest place is, the gates of the darkest place, the gates of the places of despair and hopelessness. And what he wants more than anything else is you not to enter them. And those of you who fear man and won't come to God for, for what your brother-in-law might say or your, your parents might say or your peers in your English class might say, fear God, fear God. Respect him, revere him, exalt him. Be a whole human being, solely defined by what he did on your behalf. Not what you will or will not do. Not what you promise to do. What you, not what others expect you to do. Not what you're afraid if you don't do it. What he did on your behalf, securing your salvation for all eternity. That you might not enter the depths of darkness, despair, and hopelessness. He calls you with an everlasting love and he calls you to himself. To be defined by him, to be loved by him, to be cared for by him, to be nurtured by him, to receive the affection of Christ Jesus. Fear not anything else but him. Revere him. Exalt his name. Be whole for the first time in your life. Have a plan, have a destiny, have eternality. Have a mission, have wisdom, have clarity, have use. Have an irrevocable calling on your life. That's the voice of God. Not apologizing. Not trying to embarrass you. Oh man, there's so many things so unimportant in this life. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Top of the list. Top of the list. Not the bottom. Top. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Depends on when though, doesn't it? After it's too late? Or before it's too late? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you sent the gates of the deepest darkness? What is the way to abode of light? And where does darkness reside? He knows. He descended. He knows.
He knows, and he knows what you're afraid of, and it pales in comparison to an everlasting love, the forgiveness of sin. He's a bright and morning star and the bishop of your soul. And you ought to read this book sometimes and ought to rattle something and a move on you in a place that hasn't moved yet or it's been a long time. And this people-pleasing culture we live in, somebody better stand up and say, fear God. Don't be afraid of him, but respect him. And therein lies the problem with our culture. We have lost a respect for the divine. And all men do whatever it is they want. We watch one another and we overlook perverse speech, filth, arrogance, narcissism, and anything else. We excuse it as though it's not there, as though it's okay. And the God we're supposed to revere is asking us to hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Somewhere in the spiritual diet of the born-again Christian in this country today is a need for a greater dose of respect that doesn't turn us into legalists but brings us closer to who we're called to be. Embrace it. Don't reject it. So our worship team comes forward. You're here today and you recognize a need to be a little less casual. A little less desensitized. Let's join me in prayer today as we get ready to close. If we lack freedom today because we lacked an awe of you, then Lord, give us an awe of you. Give us an awe that keeps you approachable, knowable, intimate with us. But forgive us if we've had all those things without respect and reverence and sobriety. Round us out, fill us up. Provide for us what we need. That we please you first, honor you first, define who we are in you first. And love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. 
I pray over those today, Lord, who have discounted their worth, built them up in the most holy faith, cherish them, love on them. them who they are in you. Let them serve and honor you first. If we have wielded authority in a context of manipulation, if your authority has made us feel more important and more self-centered, then take it away. It's not what we want or need. Give us authority that serves and washes feet and looks out for the needs of others. Teach us the word. Sacrifice in leadership. But free us. Yes, Lord, free us. Free us indeed. In Jesus' name. Amen.